Welcome everyone. I'm so happy you joined us here and this is Conversations with the Goddess. I know that every woman has lived a powerful story and our stories are quite often overlooked and excluded by our culture. Therefore, my intention is that these conversations with wonderful women, with goddesses, will serve as a greater awakening to the awareness of our own unique power as women individually and as a collective. My conversation today, which I'm so excited about, is with the wonderfully brilliant and compassionate Dr. Vesna School, who has always been ahead of the curve and is very deeply committed to supporting women in all the phases of their lives. So, dear Vesna, I am so fortunate to have you as my friend, and um, you are beyond the real deal, and the kind of doctor everyone, men and women, need and deserve to have caring for their health and well-being. I wish everyone could know you. So, 20 years ago, you founded the Comprehensive Center for Women's Medicine, the first center in Chicago dedicated to serving women holistically with an integrative approach. And I could share literally hundreds of stories of women that I have referred to you and friends of friends and, um, you know, during the course of our 10 year friendship. And so many women have actually called me crying or written me emails or sent me texts saying that you were actually the first the first physician who had ever actually listened to their opinions and their voice. And um, that speaks volumes about healthcare in this country. But um, you saved, I mean, I have many friends who you have saved their lives and um, you got them into the right cardiologist or oncologist, radiologist immediately. Um, and I know that many of them have searched for you, um, you know, a doctor like you for years um, in, you know, looking for a solution for their mysterious illness and really having hope uh, that somehow they could be, be helped and healed. And you have cracked the code for those women. So, and then you also did the same for me because, you know, uh, 10 years ago, before I met you, I was searching for you for 10 years prior to that. And I'm sure people recommended you and perhaps it wasn't the right time or place. But um, when I did meet you, um, my health just began to blossom. And at 57, I'm healthier and happier um, than I've ever been. You guided me through menopause and um, and so much more. So I'm so grateful. You're just a blessing for all women and for me too. So, um, so I want to just get right down to it. You have uh, obviously advocated for women uh, your entire professional career. And I know that's because you are a powerful woman yourself. And you have a wonderful, delightful story that not probably everybody who's your patient who may be listening uh, even knows that uh, about a competition in Croatia um, that happened and you arrived here in the U.S. I'd love to hear a little bit about that story. Also, um, your experience at Rush um, when you were there, which is uh, Rush Hospital here in Chicago. And then also the process of um, beginning, you know, sort of the incubating the Comprehensive Center for Women's Medicine and then creating it and everything that that took. I think people just see you now and, and they don't really aren't very, I mean, we're not aware of this, this journey that you made as a, as a woman, um, again, as I said, being ahead of the curve. So would you share with us a little bit about that? Well, Jules, thank you for having me. And uh, um, we are so near to the anniversary, 10th year anniversary of our friendship. We met September 25th, um, 2010 um, at one of Julie's wonderful gatherings of uh, great women um, listening to a fantastic um, and illuminating health talk by a mutual friend um, of ours. 
So uh, I'm really grateful that the decade has proven so wonderful um, having you as a friend and getting to know many of those women who are at that luncheon who are now uh, my patients and helping them on their own journey. Intelligent women, intelligent women choosing you as their doctor, dearest. Very lucky. So you mentioned my, my 35 plus 36 year history in, in medicine I really started um, choosing it, not because I was born with a stethoscope around my neck and knew that I wanted to be a physician, but when I came to the U.S. in 1973, I came as a foreign exchange student, having won for the third year in a row a competition in English as a foreign language, being a high school student in Zagreb, Croatia, which is my, my city of origin, and where I actually sort of um, did first of many of my educational um, unique uh, uh, paths, and that is to create my three-year path to graduating from high school that no one's done um, there, and that is to achieve the ability to come to the States and study here, which um, would not have happened until the end of high school because as an only child, my, pa my parents weren't interested in letting me go. And the prize for the national competition was two years in, um, of study in a English speaking country of one's choice, um, US being one of the options, UK, Australia, South Africa. So I um, won the first time, um, they said, nah, you're too young let's try for next year thinking I wouldn't. I won as a sophomore. Then they sent at the end of high school and it was just way too remote in a distant future two years from then. So I finished high school and won again and they couldn't say no. So I arrived and um, much to my disappointment, the program didn't work out. But what worked out was meeting another Croatian, a son of uh, contemporaries of my parents, um, two wonderful professionals who emigrated to this country because my father-in-law, who was to be the youngest professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Zagreb, could not get that position because he was not a member of the Communist Party. Mm. And he decided to leave, bring his family, and start a new life in the United States. So uh, fast forward, when my program didn't work out, um, I had two, nearly two years left on my student visa and decided by the grace of my parents to use it to travel and to see the um, states and to meet some Croatians who lived in the United States and among whom is my husband now of over 40 years um, and who actually were uh, a, a very important part in shaping my professional career. So when I decided that I wasn't going to be a journalist and, and a scholar of English and stayed in, the, in Chicago, two career choices, in my opinion, hmm. law or medicine, because those are the greatest challenges and I always liked the good challenge. And since my dad was a lawyer and at his 40th birthday party at the age of 10, I embarrassed myself or him in front of his judge friends saying I would not be a lawyer um, when asked what I was going to be when I grew up because the law books were so boring. My other option really then was medicine. And my mother-in-law um, was a really a remarkable role model in that way. And in 1973, not very many women in this country were pursuing career in medicine. Um, and in fact, when I um, finished again in two and a half years, I finished my undergrad education and started the Rush Medical College. It was the year that at 37%, Rush was second only to Harvard in enrollment of women. It then dropped down again to the you know twenties or the teens, which was a national average. Wow. And we're now delighted that you know my students at Rush, where I I've been a faculty for thirty five years, 
are now at parity in terms of gender enrollment. Um, and it's been so for the last decade or, um, or so. So after um, finishing my education and um, studying medicine, I knew that I wanted to combine the beautiful um, detective work of internal medicine where you know you, you follow clues and you put things together. But my, my love of helping women attain and maintain optimum health kind of drew me to maybe obstetrics and gynecology and to combine the two was unheard of. So when I was done with my residency and did a, a first few years working for the largest uh, multi-specialty group in the Midwest as an internist, um, it was the era of late 80s and Bernadine Healy and women's health movement that I was a very active part of that, you know, brought to my alma mater rush the idea of starting a comprehensive center that cares for women, but not from the below the waist perspective. Mm -hmm. And women's health really up until very recently was considered really just reproductive health. And right. women are far more than walking instead of ovaries and, and uteri. Um, and my idea was to really pioneer bringing the comprehensive health for women in an academic environment through the door of primary care, which was a totally new concept. Took about four years to implement an idea that could have been implemented in four months because it uh, you know, barriers of ownership of women's health had to come down. And then later, barriers of, of you know, integrating professionals that are not MDs that threaten the classic model of care. I had nurse practitioners, I had a craniosacral therapist, I had a um, zero balancer, massage therapist, an esthetician, all part of the team providing um, an acupuncturist. And when I had to use job description um, titles of physical therapists to describe uh, a work of a fabulous craniosacral therapist to get her paid on the academic payroll. And then when I had to bring in an acupuncturist through the back door, it just became um, a bit of a, uh, it lacked sincerity, that type of approach to care. And um, it needed to change. And the only way to change it, uh, complete with the new paradigm that managed care was, was um, imparting for primary care practitioners, which was move them, move them, move them on an assembly line, unless they are, you know, the daughters or wives or mothers or sisters of the CEOs and the higher echelon, and then give them ample time. But Jane Doe can be seen in 12 minutes time. So it was time to really depart from that concept. And it was um, in 2000, actually, that uh, my few brave colleagues, and we started the Rush Center for Women's Medicine with me and my dearest friend from medical school, um, Dr. Duda Hoyer, and a part-time OB-GYN grew it to seven-member group, and the brave ones um, joined us in our private practice adventure, which started 20 years ago. Um, it was believed that we would fail. And in fact, the leadership of my alma mater said mm -hmm. uh, in a public, uh, for, in a private forum, which was not so private because it came to us, that we would be welcomed with open arms when we fail. So needless to say, that was an impetus to grow and succeed and do it the right way with the patient center focus, with all of the providers that were of the like-minded approach to care, and you know, creating outcomes that really far exceed the traditional medical outcomes. And the, the colleagues in the traditional medical community would refer to us as, they used to be such good internists. And look at them now, they're curing everything with food and nutrition and nutritional supplements. 
well, and look at our outcomes. They're far better than conventional medical outcomes are. And I have my grandmothers to thank uh, for curing everything with chamomile tea and leading me to then, in the early 2000s, legitimize my granola view of medicine by uh, fellowship in anti-aging and functional and regenerative medicine, which now I can use really primarily to um, still argue with my mainstream medical community that what we do with lifestyle medicine and integrative and functional medicine really has the scientific merit. Now, um, the whole journey of 35 years has been an interesting and challenging one, and it is so rewarding to see that younger colleagues now and the students have a path and have the ability to um, obtain additional training in integrative and functional medicine, which then allows them to look at the patient as I've been looking at the patient for the 35 years, but now it's legit. And we have the community of providers uh, no longer at the you know, uh, same roof of the center because this is after all sort of my uh, final chapter professionally. I'm not nowhere near retirement, but practicing medicine to serve my own personal needs because I think that if we physician heal thyself concept is not honored, we cannot be of great service to our patients. And um, that piece has the personal and, and professional components complementing each other, not at odds with one another. So in the last three years, Danuta and I have gone to a part-time status so as to continue to provide the ample time necessary for our patients in a shortened amount of time um, and have really simplified our um, uh, uh, brick and mortar existence. And through the last six months, um, transitioned that to greater than 50% telemedicine model, which is, I guess, one tiny little silver lining in the COVID crisis that we've had. But um, as we see our patients, we can still refer them out to like-minded individuals and former colleagues who are part of the greater uh, uh, brick and mortar physical uh, plant who are vetted very carefully to fit our patients and to fit our model of care. You know, dearest, as I hear you share this story, um, and I've, I've heard parts of it, of course, before, it's one of the things that I love most about you is that you had this journey and it was always focused on service and providing something that other people didn't see, something that you knew out there could be created. And then you, you moved toward it. Every step you took, you moved toward it. And I was, as I was listening to you speak, I realized that is one of the reasons so many of, I mean, all of the people that I have referred to you make huge improvements because I really feel like you have that vision that, and that hope and that optimism that something is better, that something better is available for that woman and that she too can move toward that and blossom. And Jules, I think it's really recognizing and identifying the physician within you. Mm. Because we all have the healing power. It just needs to be channeled a certain way. And, you know, as I've said many times to you and our, our friends and my patients, my goal really is to make myself obsolete. And how can I do that? I can do that by educating you, by, by, by pointing you in the right direction <laughs> away from Dr. Google, or, or you know, curate Dr. Google <laughs> and, and provide patients with appropriate medical references so that they can grow and they can support the, their own um, health development if they're fortunate enough to be fairly healthy and listen to their bodies to recognize the symptoms of uh, maybe some disease and, and malfunction. But my whole 
paradigm has really not been disease focused. That's how traditional medicine works. It's about really finding the optimum functioning of our mind and body and combining it with spiritual practices that brings about the optimum of health. And, you know, once we achieve that, uh, the, the road may be a bit bumpy for some patients, but once we achieve that, it's smooth sailing. And, and I can just be consulted once a year while you all are creators of your own health destiny, if you will. You know, my hope is that um, more women who are interested in being physicians have an opportunity to hear you speak, uh, have an opportunity to meet you, perhaps see you as, as, you know, as patients, because I feel like so many younger women who are interested in medicine or you know, any alternative or iteration of that, whether it be chiropractic or a naturopath, I do feel like they need to hear, you know, your journey. They need to realize that it's totally possible and that, um, you know, anything is possible when you set your, your mind to it. See, and therefore, you know, that's why your, your patients get better. You know, you are, you are, as I say, you know, you're the wind beneath our wings. So thank you. Thank you. So that's a great transition into COVID because what I'm seeing is um, more people waking up to the importance of uh, health and wellness. And we could call it from a more natural perspective, right? Because there is there aren't a lot of tools that are available right now that can, that can, you know, snap you out of COVID. Um, so um, can you, I, I know that as you, you mentioned earlier, you were, were seeing patients via telemedicine and you had, um, you know, a few and you and Junuda combined that got better very quickly. And I know you have some really simple recommendations that I'd love for you to share with people because staying healthy, if you, well, I'll let you, you're the doctor. I won't play a doctor on TV. You, you, so, you share, you share your thoughts. <laughs> So um, between Danuta and me, we now have over 40 patients who have been diagnosed um, and treated for COVID, um, one of whom was hospitalized. And she, interestingly, is one of our younger patients. They're, the age range is from 34 to 76. Um, Danuta's patient who was hospitalized for a short period of time, um, age 37. Um, had one of the complications that are seen in some younger individuals, and that is thromboembolic disease and multiple pulmonary emboli and requires now um, anticoagulation, but is doing well. And, you know, if we were to, our N is very small, number of patients who we have um, with documented COVID is obviously very small. And one could say that the extrapolation that they all do well for a reason X is inaccurate and scientifically uh, not necessarily based, but I would argue that point. Um, our patients by and large are you know, self-selected to our practice because they're, they're consciously aware of necessity to nurture and achieve optimum health. And in so doing, many of them, um, with our guidance are, are taking some nutritional supplements that are just a core to healthy and vibrant health, supporting the neuroendocrine system, supporting the immune system and the gut. And as such, when faced with challenges of a seasonal flu, or in this case, a novel coronavirus, are prepared, their bodies are prepared to deal with it in a more efficient way. And honestly, you know, I cannot overemphasize how important it is to fortify and strengthen our bodies to take on the challenge of anything seasonal, uh, flu coming on in the near future, combined with the pandemic and COVID not going away or not gone away, but probably will, will increase as people are 
loosening their their uh, preventive strategies strategies which are still the best way to not get this disease wash your hands wash your hands wash your hands wear your mask wear your mask wear your mask and don't come into close contact how much simpler can it be but you know as we're all seeing as our kids are back to school i was dealing um i was talking with a dear mutual friend of ours who is senior at uc boulder tested positive and we have concocted and created a supportive regimen and she's doing fine um in in boulder but boulder is i think going to close down in any time soon or go to virtual because they had over 1300 cases in just you know uh um wow. half which in the last week whoa so that said you know boulder's not the only school that is experiencing that um, but the, the flip side of that is, you know, if you look at Illinois' rather strict adherence to the mask and the, and the pre preventive uh, behaviors on our, our campuses, and I think we have that to thank to our leadership that started um, in, in, you know, with the lockdown and, and mandates that, that um, gatherings not occur, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we are seeing far fewer, and we're one of the states that has the fewer number of cases, even with this new resurgence. So um, it, it is incredibly important to just use common sense. And then eat properly, get enough rest. And what's my little core concoction? Well, it is clearly, even before the article that just came out within the last 10 days or two weeks on correlation of vitamin D levels and outcomes. So people with lower vitamin D levels have poor outcomes and vice versa. Uh, my recommendation to everyone to fortify their immune system was to jack up the D3, K2 combination um, and you know to far out uh, recommend the standard doses that typically don't exceed 2,000 international units. I think everybody, even in the summertime, in Chicago should be on 5,000 international units of D3 and, and K2, more in face of an acute um, uh, infection, flu, cold, and COVID patients. Um, zinc is an uh, antiviral in that it disrupts the enzyme that's necessary for the intracellular viral replication. So, you know, zinc has been used flu season for you know, over-the-counter for, for, for decades. Absolutely 30 milligrams of um, zinc gluconate or glycinate, which is well-absorbed, should be part of our regimen. Um, an immunomodulator, um, which is not an immune booster, and this is a distinction that needs to be made because people are reaching to, you know, elderberry and reishi and and echinacea. Well, they're okay maybe for a common cold here and there, but they're very powerful immunostimulants. And when you combine the immunostimulation uh, revving up our immune system with what happens with COVID, which revs it up by the virtue of the infection and can create something called cytokine storm. Some of these nutritional supplements, when taken in large quantities, and people think, well, you know, it's, it's a plant, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a mushroom, it's not going to harm me, it may. So immunosupportive supplements, not so good, immunomodulating, of which I know only one, are phenomenal. And that is, we are actually boosting the immune response so that the natural killer cells can survey, recognize, capture, and then the other components of this product can then get rid of the viral complex, and the third component can improve the clearance of not only the viral particles, but other toxins from our body. That has been tremendously helpful in patients who have suffered through the acute phases of COVID. And 
vitamin C in large doses, but also more in, in my experience, an uh, uh, antioxidant com compound that has far greater um, efficacy than vitamin C alone, but uh, certainly vitamin C, two to 4,000 milligrams is great. And, you know, and some omegas because they are anti-inflammatory. And that's it. You know, that's a little core that makes a huge difference. So even though these, these medical fireside chats that in, in, invoke nutritional supplements and nutrition should not be misconstrued as diagnosis, mitigation, or cure, give me a break. Seriously, it's food. I will share with you my late, my most recent COVID patient is a dear friend in Croatia, one of my best friends. Oh, right. Who is a judge who actually um, has not done court, has done all the appropriate things um, of social isolation and masking, et cetera. Uh, somehow or other, because Croatia has a second surge now because of the tourist season, et cetera picked up COVID and it was diagnosed as a, uh, she was to have an, a, a small procedure done actually today. And as pre-op, um, they tested her for COVID on Tuesday. On Tuesday night, she developed a fever to 103, body aches and chills and a cough. Mm -hmm. Called up for the result, COVID positive. Use my witch's brew. Her fever gone, 36 hours. She oh, is, wow. She is no longer coughing. And she's in self-isolation, obviously, at home, sitting it out for 14 days. But she will be on this concoction of nutritional supplementation for those 14 days. And she's not going off of it because, you know, once we have it, no one knows what the antibody presence and immunity means, which brings me to, you know, don't put your eggs in the vaccine basket because we honestly don't know if it's going to be effective, how long it's going to be effective. And, and safety uh, parameters are, have not been defined. And while I am certainly not discouraging people to get vaccinated once we have the information of efficacy and safety, at the moment we don't. So no matter you know on what side of the aisle you're sitting and listening and being bombarded with politicizing medical issues, vaccination at this first go around, not something we should be reliant upon. And quite frankly, actually, they, they just reported that if this two-step vaccine, once proven safe and effective, um, is used to, to immunize adequate number of people, it'll take two years to manufacture enough of vaccines. So that said, again, left mm. to our own devices and this temple needs to be supported and fortified and strong so we can overcome uh, what might come our way. And that's, you know, the next wave of COVID. Oh, thank you, Vesna. That is amazing. And I, I really hope that it brings a lot of people peace of mind, you know, and uh, one, yeah. one, one thing I am actually very optimistic about and excited is uh, mass manufacturing of the rapid tests that Yale and U of I have parallel developed. I think that is going to be so wonderful for restoring some normalcy. You know, the whole, do I get tested? What antibody assay? Is it gonna be a finger stick or a blood test or whatever test? They don't mean anything because we don't know what having an antibody actually means in terms of long-term uh, um, long um, uh, prevention of acquiring COVID again, but knowing that you don't have it and knowing it in 10 minutes and being tested multiple times if you're in an environment like a school or a university or, or a public service uh, institution, that is going to help us identification, 
tracing, self-isolation until, you know, uh, either antivirals or an effective vaccine is available. But in the meantime, staying healthy, supporting our own immune response is the key. Mm, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. So now let's talk about women's health and wellness. And I know you and I both agree. I mean, women's bodies are so incredibly powerful, right? From menarche all the way through menopause and for women who choose to have children carrying a child. And so um, some of the things that I know you're far more familiar with than I am, but that young uh, young women are getting their periods starting at a much earlier age. Um, you know, I know that you work with women who have fertility issues, that fertility uh, challenges seem to be rising for women and, and men as well, but women. Um, and then um, additionally, the stats are like there's 25 million, 25 million people in the United States that have autoimmune challenges, right? And that's documented. So who even knows, you know, somebody who's seen their doctor and they're like, well, let's give you a Prozac for your, because you're not feeling quite right or whatever it may be. Um, so, and primarily the autoimmune illnesses, I, am I right, affect women, right? So, so we have- Nine to one ratio, yes. Wow. So- Women have these miraculous bodies, and yet um, most women I talk to, and I talk to a lot of women, most women I talk to um, are really physically, you know, either, you know, they're not 100%, you know, and are struggling, some really struggling. So can you talk to us about what you've been experiencing over the past 30 years, what's really happening, and... Um, I mean, I know it's a huge, it could be a huge conversation and lecture, but if we could just dive in a little bit and let people know that there's hope, you know? I think that, you know, to, at the expense of being, you know, superficial and glib and overly simplistic, I could just say two words, stress and toxins. Yeah. Right. And, you know, stress, why? Because we're, we as women, we are expected to fulfill so many roles. And there are self-imposed and societally imposed expectations. And, and um, many of us are perfectionists and, and, and that creates, you know, perpetuates the stress. Young women in particular thinking that they can do it all, you know, burn the candle on both ends. Uh, starting in even before college. I mean, it, it, getting a kid into, into an elementary school is stressful. Um, getting them through high school and, and, and once they're in college and parental controls are, are out the window, their sleep cycle is completely messed up. And uh, we know how wonderful benefits of sleep are to self uh, regeneration and cell cellular repair and management of stress. So when you combine that with ever increasing numbers of environmental pollutants and toxins that are uh, exponentially on the rise. In fact, uh, a book that is on my desk, and I was just referring to something um, in it earlier for a patient, is a Integrative Environmental Medicine book, published in 2017, quoting about 90,000 registered environmental taxes in 2017. Um, a conference I attended virtually just a couple of months ago on environmental health, which is now really gaining traction as a society and an accepted uh, medical specialty, talks about 115,000 toxins that are now registered and coming from what? From things like, you know, products that we, uh, before the morning even starts, an average woman has put in or consumed over 200 toxins, shampoos, uh, soaps, even clean facial care products, makeup, 
um, fragrances, toxic chemicals like benzaldehyde, camphor, ethyl acetate, benzyl acetate, linalol, acetone, methylene chloride can cause tremendous cumulative damage to our organs. And there we go with them every day. So personal care products. Um, well, what do we sleep on? You know, mattress, our own mattress and bedding can be a source of exposure for the longest amount of time because even if you sleep six hours it's six hours in the in the same room and on the same mattress so these chemicals some of these non-organic uh, uh, polybrominated diphenyl esters are they sound uh, very dangerous all of those words are like are with us and don't break down and much like you know the, the DDTs and much like these other uh, persistent organic pollutants or POPs can linger in our cells, uh, enveloped by fat because most of them are fat soluble, for decades. Wow. So, you know, organic mattresses or you know, organic bedding, um, uh, making sure that our bedrooms are, our air is purified because, you know, where do we get these, these uh, toxins? Contact, as we mentioned, uh, inhalation and ingestion, right? Um, but then, you know, cleaning products. Well, but... Darling, we, we need to get, we need to cut to the solution. I mean, like, I, I, I mean, like, it, it sounds like it's everywhere, right? I so mean, like, we have to like take take an a, a inventory of our homes, inventory of our bodies, and pitch out most of the cleaning products. You could do, you could clean with vinegar, water, baking soda. Okay. And there are um, some really great, am I right? Natural cleaning products out absolutely. there if people don't want to make their own brew, you know, and, right? You know, I think that the, my go-to and recommendation for patients is the environmental working group. They have really listed not only the foods that are clean 15 and 30 dozen that we should um, be uh, uh, avoiding and um, always buying organic, but they also have listed the personal care products, the baby products, the cleaning products that uh, will help us in our own environmental cleanup. If so you environmental working group. Environment, ewg.org. Okay, that's great. So, um, okay, you, you have a little more to say about it. And, you know, uh, think about uh, sun, sun season is on the way out, but uh, sunscreens. So the JAMA, uh, Journal of American Medical Association, the, the, the uh, mainstream as mainstream can be, uh, published an article just a, a month ago that talks about six absolutely horrific toxic chemicals that are found in sunscreens that we should totally avoid, avobenzone and oxybenzone, the two top ones, and replace it with zinc oxide, you know, and, but also replace it by an internal ingestion of antioxidant protectives. As, you know, some of the better skincare brands are talking about, oh, there's a vitamin A, C, and E, and, and CoQ10, and antioxidants that we put on our skin, but think about eating them and consuming them so you're systemically prepared for the UVA, UVB challenges. Well, I, I just have to say, so you recommended something for me, which we don't have, we don't have to go into exactly, but you know, people can go to your website and find out more information about that. But that I take internally, that's a little powdered beverage that's just very high in antioxidants. And I've been yeah. taking it every day probably since you supported the formulation of it, right? So that was, what, three, four years ago? 2015. And, and I've been swimming outside, trying to get strong for the winter every day. And um, I, I literally get no, I, I, no sunburn no whatsoever. whatsoever. And people are like, how is that even, you know, the other ladies at the pool, you know, who are really get, you know, are, are getting burned, even though they've been swimming a long time. I just, I don't anymore. So I know that that's such a, I mean, it's such a, it's 
I think people are like, uh, is that possible that you could actually internally take antioxidants and it actually would protect your skin? But I, I'm an example of that. I feel, so I feel very, very fortunate that at 57, I don't, I don't have to, I mean, I'm not foolish. You know what I mean? It, it, and I, I, I don't overexpose my skin, but certainly I'm out for an hour and a half, two hours during prime time. And I'm just great. I just, so thank you. Thank and actually, you. you know, it's been uh, um, five core ingredients of that product have been studied at the Mediterranean Institute for Lifestyle Sciences and shown not only to prevent the uh, damage, the, the solar damage to the skin, um, which invariably leads to dysplasia and skin cancer, um, when they studied it in vitro in the Petri dish, mm and, and uh, put the skin cells of a normal individuals along incubated with those five products, they could not induce the dysplastic changes. And when they were in a normal medium, they all progressed to, to squamous cell skin cancer. And uh, con conversely, they also had melanoma skin cell, the, the most vicious skin cancer incubate in normal medium and it grew. And in the medium with those uh, core five ingredients, it arrested its progression and, and actually it started to shrink. So uh, to say that we can affect how our skin reacts by an oral consumption of systemic support is absolutely correct. And you know, and I, I have certainly converted enough D2 into D3 with my own personal sun exposure, because as, as you know, and, and many of my friends and patients know, I'm a, an avid organic gardener and I like the, love the outdoors, have not burned in five years as well. Right, and I think, um, you know, I just wanna say that actually, that actually is such a uh, tribute to the fact that we can actually do things for our bodies ourselves to protect ourselves from I mean, I'll extrapolate, but from things like skin cancer, right? Yes. That, so I just think that it's very important for people to know we have the power to take very good care of our, of our bodies. And, and you know, moving on to the other sources of these environmental toxins, you know, we don't have to cook with nonstick cookware, which is laden with uh, toxicants. We can choose you know, the natural fabric uh, softeners and detergents. We can uh, avoid um, bug sprays that have DEET that is known, that can cause carcinogenic uh, transformation and use more natural sources. We can avoid BPA containing uh, products from plastic bottles to liners of cans, et cetera. And I'm delighted to see that you know, I'm not a great fan of canned foods, but at least now the the, the linings have an organic product that is not in a toxic uh, vehicle and a toxic can. So, right? so a great purge <laughs> needs to happen. Yes. Then and, and then also and then, you know, dietary wise, there are certain foods that are really very much uh, pro detoxification. So apples and pears and beets and and parsley, cilantro, green leafy vegetables, green tea, flax seeds, always, you know, uh, have some of that on hand. Always choose organic uh, as much as possible and glyphosate-free fruits and vegetables. And if you're consuming dairy, make sure it's from cows that are not uh, treated with antibiotics and, and bovine growth hormone um, and are organic pasture fed, but at least seasonally. So now would be a good time moving into fall, do a targeted cellular cleanse. Um, and I've been doing that for, for decades and having a program that I share with my patients is simple and easy to, to do, you know, again, keeps them periodically cleansed in a more intense vegan kind of way. And then if you're an omnivore, go back to eating clean animal product products afterwards. Right. We want as many happy, healthy women on the planet as possible because we have a lot of work to do. So please, please, please listen to uh, Dr. School's recommendations so that we all can be open-hearted and 
and muy fuerte, right? I don't say that so well in Spanish, I'm sure, but you know, I mean, really strong. And to the mothers of young girls who are, as you point out, many of whom are experiencing menarche at nine or 10, and young boys who are showing secondary um, uh, sex characteristics at the same age, really, really, really be absolutely vigilant about if you are feeding them dairy products, make sure they're not bovine growth hormone um, type products, but organic milk. And um, because that is one of the major contributors to this, um, uh, this situation. And then the xenoestrogens, the fake hormones that, it, that are found in plastics and so many other things that, that we've just uh, barely mentioned. And, and you know, I, I have them enumerated on my website and we can go in greater detail. Um, when I talk to people about what to avoid, especially with these young children, that are uh, or or soy-based formulas. I, I don't be, I don't believe that American Pediatric Association has not banned the soy-based infant formulas that's that are still being fed to millions of babies. So you know, uh, and there's there's good reason for that, right? That that the soy crops are the uh, the have so the highest most glyphosate and GMO, right? They're all GMO and glyphosate laden. Yes. Yeah, so and additionally, in addition to that, even if there were organic soy products, um, uh, soy is a powerful phytoestrogen. Right. And the little baby right. does not need phytoestrogens in her or his mm. food. Well, just pulling back the veil, Vesna, per usual. So for anybody who doesn't know all this information, it's good to know, good to be informed. And again, as I said, so that we can be as happy and healthy as possible. And we certainly want our young girls to be as happy and healthy as possible. They're our future. So now I won't say how old you are, but I said, you know, I'm 57. So let's, let's talk oh, about- uh, I will volunteer my, my age. I am happily Medicare age as of my last birthday, which was two months ago, so. Yeah, um, and thank God, very healthy because we want you to, we want you to live a long time. And, you know, I, I, I want, I would like my, daughter-in-law and my granddaughters and so if you you could just keep practicing until until i'm gone <laughs> so maybe another 50 years um so i heard uh, michelle obama speak and she she said something really interesting which was that which i already knew but she said women are always accommodating people and you know we care as we get older for our parents uh she she talked about actually sex and how we accommodate, you know, if, if, you know, we are in relationship with um, a man that we accommodate that man into our own body. And then if we choose to get pregnant, that we're actually carrying a baby inside of our body. And we, so we spend, and, you know, if we're just in partnership with people, we are usually accommodating. And, and, and this again, could be a four hour lecture and a, and a series of seminars, of course, but, you know, so, um, when a woman reaches menopause, you have shared something with me. I remember we were at a dinner table, the two of us, and you said to me, women expand during menopause and postmenopausal. And you said, men have a tendency as they age and go through andropause, which is male menopause, they have a tendency to tunnel down. So to all of you women listening, I hope you get through all the way to this point and hear this because you have the opportunity to expand during menopause, postmenopausal. And I've seen it in myself. I've seen it in all of my friends. And, and the other thing she spoke about, which you have shared with me too, is the importance of women having the support and the mirroring, the reflection, the positive reflection, which I'm so fortunate to love you and have you in my life. Women who reflect the very best in us and support us in this next phase of our life in expansion. And um, actually her OBGYN referred to it as the third trimester of our, our lives. So I would love for you to, I mean, 
if you want to touch on on hormones, you want to touch upon whatever, we, we don't have that much more time, but I would love for you to talk about menopause and maybe we can we can do a, another podcast exclusively for the over 50 ladies. Or women are going through menopause earlier too now. So anyway, darling, take it away. I'm, so, so I like to think of the chapter as the menopause freedom. Mm. Because, you know, for, for many reasons that you outlined their uh, premenopausally, their challenges and their, their, their reproductive issues and potentially unwanted pregnancies, etc. Once menopause hits, if we do menopause right, and we can do menopause right. Hallelujah. Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, there is a liberation. You know, there is, so no fear of pregnancy, been there, done that. Um, you know, there is really a sense of um, if we walk into it with right support to the neuroendocrine axis that controls all of the hormonal fluctuations throughout our life from adolescence to senescence, if we feed our, our pituitary, our our director of the hormonal symphony gland, the appropriate nutrients, and I'm talking about macronutrients here now through healthy you know, lifestyle and good nutrition, and if we're providing uh, adequate sleep and good quality of sleep to our brain and pituitary, its aging is going to be delayed. But it is inevitable and it's going to happen. So we kind of need to help it along with certain focused nutritional support that then allows the gland to continue to make pro-hormones that then dictate to the secondary hormonal manufacturing uh, um, organs in our body when the ovaries and testes in, testes in men have done their thing and they're on a permanent sabbatical and you know the ovarian atresia is, is, is essentially just shrinking down of the ovaries and the eggs are gone um, although we're brought into this world with 700,000 per baby girl and that actually already is less than what the seventh month gestation female fetus has which is about over a million eggs so clearly mother nature is taking making sure that we procreate successfully. And, and at this point, there are none left, but there's still the ability to make the female hormones in extra gonadal tissues, like our fats, so being too skinny, not good, but being obese, not good either, and our adrenal glands. So non-hormonally balancing the hormonal cascade is important and i am actually fortunate that in my bag of tricks of nutritional supplements in the last decade i've had a product that is uh unique in that it delivers these amino acids and a bunch of botanicals three of them to directly to the pituitary through a unique delivery system um, of a liposome and liposomes are the thing of the future. I think all medications in the next 10 years will be delivered in a liposomal way, which allows the medicine or the nutrients to, in a targeted fashion, go to where they're supposed to. Mm. So providing little targeted food for the pituitary, um, adequate rest, adequate exercise, uh, practicing mindfulness, meditation, prayer on a daily basis really helps tremendously attenuate the physical symptoms of menopause, the hot flushes, insomnia, the, et cetera. But, you know, some women, not all, um, may require uh, hormone restoration. And if, if we go that route, in addition to the natural support, you know, I've been working with... Um, several wonderful compounding pharmacies in the country that are trained and, and, uh, and do great compounds in, in utilizing natural ingredients and bioidentically create what the body is no longer making. 
Um, I think that uh, when Women's Health Initiative busted and showed that the mm. the, the um, Prempro, which was the, the uh, hormone that was a lookalike, not really a natural estrogen and a natural progesterone, led to more complications than alleviated problems, everybody and their uncle became a compounder. So just a word of caution, compounding is a science first and an art second. And as such a science, it is highly regulated, should be highly regulated. People should not be making it in their basements and they still <laughs> do. So if, you, if one goes the compounding route, it has to be by a provider who knows how to write a compounding prescription and a pharmacy that knows what they're doing. Um, and when we then pro uh, provide those hormones to uh, women who uh, need them, it balances them out, gives them confidence, and gives them physical and mental clarity, physical fitness and mental clarity. And the whole journey becomes really a miracle manifestation of that next chapter in our lives where you know, our wisdom and our bodies are, are celebrated and the body is not ailing yet because we're supporting it, but we're just kind of supporting it with a, an added uh, mile or two of uh, experience. And I wish that one day in our culture, we view menopausal women and the elder women in society with the same grace, respect that they deserve and have received in other cultures for millennia. Uh, but I think that as we evolve as a group of over 50 or over 60 vibrant women, there won't be a reason to, to, to um, uh, pigeonhole us in a second citizen sort of category, which unfortunately, uh, you know, menopausal women in, in, in this, in Western society have been. So it's delightful to see that we are holding our own, except doing it with a little more wisdom behind, uh, behind our years. Right. Well, we're living longer, right? And as we live want longer, we want those years to be quality years. Right? So I think there is demand now from women saying, you know, I may live to be 90 years old and I would like for those years, you know, there was a 80 year old woman in the pool doing laps, uh, butterfly, you know? So yeah. I was like, damn, that's something to aspire to, you know? So, I mean, really, and she's vibrant and vital. And I think, I think not as many women are talking about hormone replacement. I do think that, I mean, obviously when you and I met, I was 47, um, but 10 years later, I think, um, you know, there are, thank heaven, women like you have really done the research. You've talked to a lot of people. You've gone to a lot of trainings, um, some amazing, some probably not as amazing. And um, I know that I've been at trainings with you and you are actually one of the healthiest looking people there, which is always like, what are these other people doing? Um, so it speaks volumes about your lifestyle. It also speaks volumes about your heart and uh, your intention and the love that you that you share with your patients in the world too. So um, anyway, I know that your favorite quote is from Margaret Mead, and we reviewed this earlier, and uh, and um, it's a beautiful quote. So I'd love you to share that, and I just also from there would like you to share what your um, your greatest dream. For women is your greatest imagining, greatest hope for the future of uh, women around the world. So, yeah. So I think we've talked about um, my personal belief is that you know anything you your mind can conceive, you can achieve, uh, but it's not without support and a village. So. Margaret Mead's quote, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has, has been really my 
motivator in my personal and professional life. And I truly believe that it's possible. And in practicing that, you know, women need to become strong by learning from the experiences of other strong women. My example was my dear mother, um, Certainly. my mother-in-law, a wonderful professor at um, medical school who was um, a rarity. She was a, um, a hematologist who was juggling raising four children and an academic career and had the greatest heart and compassion for very difficult patients. Her patients were not like my patients who were vibrantly healthy. Her patients were gravely ill. But to see the behavior and the compassion and embracing them in their last moments and dealing with their families really left a very, very profound effect on the way I started to practice medicine. And looking at strength of those women uh, sort of kind of created hopefully in me something that younger generations of women could could uh, find interesting and, and helpful. And it is my hope that, you know, through finding peace within ourselves, we are able then to contribute to peace and love for one another and build a physically and emotionally healthier, more tolerant and safer world for our children and our grandchildren. Well, and you now have a beautiful granddaughter and uh, healthy and chubby cheeks and <laughs> of a breastfed baby, yes. delicious, beautiful granddaughter. So may may and so it may be, as I always say, may your wish and you may know, your greatest wishes come true. Thank you. And who is born in year 2020 that will be remembered for not so happy things. But I think that, again, you know, my seeing the glass half full. You always do. I think that challenges like this year can help us all, I think, rise to our better selves. Because there is no room. For anything else. That's right. Thank you, Vesna. You are a miracle. And um, I want more women to know about you. So for everybody listening, please do share this with your friends and your family. Men should listen to it too, so they have a better understanding of women and their daughters. And so please do. Um, support and enlighten those you love with Vesna's wisdom. Um, if you'd like to learn more about her, certainly you can reach out to me, but you can also uh, go to her website, which is ccwm.com for the Comprehensive Center for Women's Medicine. And also she has a lovely Instagram account, which is ccwomensmedicine. Um, so dearest, thank you for serving women so beautifully and brilliantly for close to 40 years and being an angel in my life, a gem and in the lives of so many people that I love and for women that I don't know, because you are making your hope and dream come true. You know, you are creating that planet. So thank you for being a leader and courageous and an innovator and um and also inc incredibly happy and optimistic human you know we're all very lucky to know you so thank you for being here i love you and um i'll see you i'm sure very soon <laughs> love thank you thank you for having me jules thank you love you so much